Are we doing this? Really? Wait for it. Are we doing this? Wait for it. Ow! What the fuck? WTF. And it's also, eh, what the fuck? What's wrong with me? It's time for WTF. What the fuck? With Mark Marin. Okay, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fucksicans? Whatever you want to call yourself, I am Mark Marin. This is WTF. Thank you, as always, for listening to my show. I'm a little fucked. I'm a little crazy. I'm a little tired. I'm getting up early to make my girlfriend coffee before she goes to work because I'm so happy she has a job. And then I've set that standard where I'm like, I'll get up with you. Let me make you a nice uh, mocha. You know, have a good day at work. And then I'm fucked the whole day. And I'm in that one. I'm just, I'd rather do anything other than do anything. Do you know that feeling? Paralysis. Exhausted. Overwhelmed. Oh, by the way, Steve Byrne. Uh, great comic on the show today with uh, some fairly uh, provocative uh, information uh, uh, in relation to uh, something we've already talked about on this show. I'll tell you about that in just a second, but look forward to it. Probably going to cause some trouble, but I think it's an, a, a good show. Uh, he's an interesting guy. Talk a lot about uh, um, sort of biracial uh, comedy and, and a little bit of race and then uh, some other stuff. I'll tell you about that in a minute. But what the fuck am I going to do? All right, I'm overwhelmed. I, I don't know who you are or what your life looks like, but I don't have any real discipline, number one. Well, obviously I do. I, I do this show for you guys. Can you just turn that off, Mark? Yes, Mark, I will. How long is it going to take for you to get to, you know, to remember to turn your fucking cell phone off to, before you go on a show? Well, uh, you know, I'm busy thinking about what I'm going to say you know, as I make coffee and do anything other than do anything that I need to do to just prepare. All right, so the phone's fucking off. That's it. We're okay. But I'm not okay because I don't have any structure. Yeah, I'm doing this show for you twice a week. I'm going out on the road, but everything else is a, is a disaster, and I never know how to end a work day. I'm constantly working or tweeting or Facebooking or reaching out to possible guests or recording interviews or doing whatever I need to do. But then there's the other stuff. There's a second layer. What about my house? Is it falling apart? Is that termites? Are those termites going to eat my house? How old is that termite damage? Oh my God, I need to build a new room on this thing because the walls are falling in. What about the yard? What about my car? How come the light's on? How come the maintenance light's on? How are you going to handle your girlfriend now that you guys are back together and you can't just seem to take any criticism without taking it as an insult and then reacting like a fucking impetuous child. All these things are one big thing that are weighing down on me. I can't compartmentalize. I just need to do this. All I'm doing right now is talking on the mic. All right, look. Last night, we, I, uh, she, she felt un, unappreciated. That's not unusual in relationships. And, and of course, I took it as her saying, uh, you, you know, you're an asshole. She said, why can't you be, you know, you know, I did this. I helped you out. I help you with the garbage. I help you with the dishes. I had a busy day. You know, instead of just expecting these things or feeling like you're entitled to them, why can't you just thank me and be appreciative? And so I took that as uh, you're a fucking asshole. So, of course, I responded appropriately to what I thought she was saying, which was like, uh, you know, fuck that. You know, what are you, some sort of hero? You know, I'm working, too. Yeah, it was ridiculous. I'm a, I'm a ridiculous fool. And it goes back to all of that, to the authority thing, to why I'm a comic. Anybody tells me what to do. I'm like, fuck you. Fuck you. Even if it's the right thing. Didn't I turn that off? I, what do I got to do with this phone? How can I not? Un- oh, that wasn't it. Where did that come from? Am I hearing things? Did my brain just have an aural hallucination of my phone 
ringing because I was talking about something that may be touchy to me. But I just have this immediate, I am an immediate fuck you guy if I just allow my wiring to function the way it was designed. Anything you tell me, I'm like, nah, you know, fuck you. Don't fucking tell me. It doesn't work. I mean, even, look at this. I get this, I got an email, not an email, I'm sorry, snail mail, actual letter in my mailbox from the Department of Motor Vehicles. I've gotten a couple tickets lately. I, I have a problem with uh, stop signs. Like I don't, I don't stop at the stop sign. I sort of roll into the intersection to look both ways. That's, that's my style. It's a stylistic decision. And I ran a red light and they got me on camera. Boy, what a ridiculous picture that is. Cause you, they always take that picture. It's always you frozen in that moment where you know you're fucked. That look on your face, I'm leaning forward as if that my leaning forward would make my car push past the camera point. But there I am just with that. Come on, man. Come on, face. Didn't work. Got the ticket. Expensive. $480. So now I got these two tickets sitting on my record. The drifting through a stop sign where the cop wrongly accused me of stopping because I saw him. I didn't see him. That's my style. It's a stylistic decision is to, you know, let the nose go out a little bit so I can look both ways effectively. See, I'm actually doing a better job at a stop sign. And they, they accused me of stopping. Like I would just run a stop sign. Fuck them. Fuck that. The red light. Come, I made it. You know, I was enough time. Why does it keep making the noise? I turned it off. The fucking ringer is on silent and it's still making the noise. Whatever. God damn it. So I made the light. You know, these, this totalitarian force of cameras in our life is taking out all the excitement, all the risk, all the gamble. So now you see my disposition. Basically what I'm saying is I got caught twice. So I get this letter. In, on stationary, Department of Motor Vehicles, dear California driver, and it's addressed to me, drivers with crashes and traffic convictions on their records are at a greater risk of causing future crashes. Your recent record of bad driving, see below in parentheses, places you at increased risk of causing crashes, injury, and death. We do not want you to suffer those consequences and want to help you avoid them. We understand that you may believe you are a good driver, and yet your driving record is much worse than the average California driver. While you may be a good and safe driver most of the time, your record reflects at least momentary lapses in driving judgment. At highway speeds, a moment of carelessness can become a tragedy. Good, caring people who make careless decisions while driving can cause injury or death. Holy shit, what, does this come from the DMV guilt department? I've never seen a letter like this. It's not even giving me an option. You know, are they offering me a class? Let's go on. In our effort to urge you to drive safer, we are offering you a choice, not a class. Not a, There's no barter here. What's the choice, DMV guilt department? You can choose to prevent further action from DMV by avoiding additional traffic convictions and by not causing any crashes. Oh, let me make note of that. Don't cause crashes today. What the fuck is this passive-aggressive guilt-throwing letter? However, if you choose to continue your unsafe driving, the penalties will increase and eventually lead to probation, suspension, or revocation 
of your driving privilege. All right, I get it. I get it. I get it, Dad. We believe you are capable of making a change to become a safer driver, but it is up to you to do so. If you do not want to change, your driving will continue to present a risk to yourself and other road users. If you want to change and become a safer, more responsible driver, you can. We hope that you will decide to change, but the choice is yours. Now, I got to be honest with you. I've never seen a letter like this, and my first reaction was, fuck you. Who the fuck are you? To tell me that I can't make I can't make stylistic decisions around how I handle a stop sign or whether or not I can make it through a red light. I made it. I made it. Fuck you. But then as a grown up, I kind of think like, all right, I get it. You're right. And 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 quite honestly, it has made me more aware because I, you know, it and it's about you don't want to lose your license, you want to get more points, I want to pay more money. Unfortunately, killing myself or others is way down on that list. So that that didn't work. But I'm aware of it. But but my first response was, you know, fuck you. But with this particular thing, where does that get me? No, you know what? Despite you, I'm going to I'm going to crash. I'm going to crash. I'm going to hurt myself and others. That's what I'm going to do. Tell me what to do. You fucks. So obviously I'm transferring stuff and I just have to. uh, I got to apologize to my girlfriend and. uh and I guess appreciate her more and and stop at stop signs and not try to make the yellow. God damn it. What happened to freedom? Huh? Jesus. So anyway, on the show today, Steve Byrne. Now, he you might not uh, remember this, but we mentioned Steve Byrne. Okay, we mentioned, well, I he came up in a conversation that I had with Dane Cook, who was on WTF. And what I'd like to do now is just play Dane Cook talking about this situation. And by the way, you can get the Dane Cook episode at uh, iTunes if you do a search on WTF Premium or you can go to WTFPodshop.com. But this is Dane Cook talking about Steve Byrne and then we'll talk to Steve. I I heard that you once accused someone of stealing your essence. Yeah, Steve Byrne. What, now, now, what does that mean exactly? Steve Byrne. I, I understand it actually. Mm-hmm. It's so funny because this is the the only time I have ever called somebody or said I I need to talk to you about something is Steve Byrne, who I think is a very talented guy. But essence is an interesting word. It is an interesting word, and and when we had that conversation, which I thought was a private conversation which I thought was just Steve and I. I remember I called Steve. I said, listen, can we, because a bunch of people around LA were saying, wow, man, he's like, he's doing you. It's Uh like watching you, the cadence, the tempo, the little tricks and, you know, stuff that we all have, the little, Uh the ums or the, you know, whatever it is that you put together to make your, you know, your, your rhythms. Uh So, and then just general, like, POV stuff, just the way he was, you know, I, I think I have a kind of a unique perspective on the way I approach a joke or a story or routine. And so I called him, I said, you know, will you come over and, you know, talk to me about this? About I remember your, we came about over. your essence? <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> That's not the way the conversation all went. All right, all right. One piece of maybe a two-hour conversation yeah. that I had with him. And the thing that was strange about the conversation was it was a great conversation. We It wasn't me sitting there saying, dude, you're... You're doing this and you're taking... It was not. We sat on my porch. 
we sat on my the front stoop of this building that I was living in for about two hours. Uh-huh. Um, we talked about what he was doing, and you know what? Since I never went out and started, you know, blogging or or one of those people that when somebody says something about me that I know is getting around, it's like I'm going to start telling what really happened. You know, the same with the Louis stuff. Not everybody knows that whole story. There's more to like that back and forth than what people realize. But you, but he chose, to, you both chose to keep it. Yeah, but we sat there and we talked about it and I finally said, you know, and I did say to him, I go, Steve, but I didn't go like this, you are stealing my essence. I probably said, you know, Steve, it's like you're not being you. It's like you're being me. It's like you're trying to act like me, dress like me. And he even admitted to me at that time in his life, you know what, I'm not where I want to be. Even my own family's looking at me saying, you know, this too, isn't you. I mean, too the much guy, like Dane. By the end of the no, not that. No, but just that he wasn't being Steve. Right, right. By the mm-hmm. end of the conversation, I remember I shook his hand. I said, "You know what, Steve? I like you. I think that you're really talented." And I and I go and I know that everybody goes through these times where we get a little bit lost and try to figure out what the fuck we are on stage. I want to be a friend to you. I want to like. I'd rather be closer to you than feel like we're awkward and now we're going to see each other in clubs and it's weird. I thought we walked away from that conversation. I remember I walked into my girlfriend. I go, that's one of the best conversations I've ever had. And comics have these conversations every night. There's a comic somewhere going, dude, dude we have the same. Th- not, <laughs> no, I know. I'm sorry. You want so badly, Mark. To I like, to, I like that. No, I like no, the but, line. And I know your humor, and I know, and I appreciate it. <laughs> and I know that's something you you want to be able to. I get it. You want Darth Vader to be Darth Vader. You don't want her to be Anakin. No, I. Like and you the, want me to be Darth Vader. No, I don't. I but just the like, mask is off, and I'm letting you know. No, that the, I know the I, mask isn't completely off, but I, I, I but like, it is. I like stealing your essence. <laughs> I do. I like that, and I, I'm glad that you. It's no. It's a great. It's poetic. <laughs> I understand it. I I call it a drive shaft. You see, you're misunderstanding. You're thinking I'm attacking you or not. But I can tell when someone takes someone's drive shaft. Like you said, there's a lot of people doing a tell. There's a lot of people doing Hedberg's. A lot sure. of people doing Todd exactly. Berry. Exactly. And that's what I was getting across. Yeah. Right. I was just enjoying the poetry of it. But I do call it a drive shaft. Uh, you know what? That's that's okay. Right. You, well, you can, I can have drive shaft? No, you, you can have essence. Enjoy. <laughs> yes. I'll take drive okay. shaft. All right. Or delivery system, I like as well. Essence is the same thing. Okay. Do you like that? Yeah. Uh, fine. I mean, we're just arguing over poetry. I can't a guy appreciate another guy's poetry without you, you thinking. I've never it. used that terminology except for that conversation. But uh, but yes, I can. Hear and it a, became I, it was it was so good it had to get out. That's what, it, it, you know, I didn't hear it from Steve Byrne. Right. But but the idea of you saying someone stealing your essence to it was so uh, it was so good it had yeah. to be talked about. I can understand the way when you we're when gossips. you turn it when you turn it into a a, a soundbite. It is hilarious. And if I heard it, I'd probably fuck around with it too. Well, you do kind of conjure up pictures of you and your, your wherever you are up in the hills, and you summon Steve. It's like you have stolen my essence. Give it back. All right, if that's what you want, if that really is what you want to believe, if that's what it conjures up, then here's what I picture. I pictured, I pictured you looking out right. of your house. Come over to my house tonight. All right, come see where I live. Don't you only have a view? Come see. There's not a lair in some. You know, but you I'm, have a view, like, right? I do. Okay, so I was picturing you looking out over. Over in Los Angeles. At that know, time, I did not live there. But Oh, but you were like, you know, with your robe on going, someone has taken my essence. I can feel it in the force. That's how I pictured it. All right. Come if, on. If that's what makes you happy. Come on. I'm a jeans and t-shirt guy. I'm not big into fucking robes and a wizardry. Dark robe. No wizardry? No. See, now I gave us both atomic fireballs and we can't even be on the mics yet. Because they're going to be beating those around our mouth. 
So are you ready? You ready to talk? You want to yeah. finish your candy? I could chuck it or whatever. I don't care. I'm gonna put mine right there. Yeah, that's yeah, good. I'll put mine it, in my pocket. They're pretty good, right? Yeah. I don't know. A fan gave me a bunch of atomic fireballs. It's been like since eighth grade since I had one of these bad boys, but yeah, but they're good, right? I miss them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so Steve Byrne is in the uh, garage here at the Cat Ranch. Now I've I, I've known you for a long fucking time, and again I've never talked to you. Yeah. I always assume that. Uh, <laughs> of course, I assume that you didn't like me. No, but, uh, you're no. not. You're not. A, you're not a completely emotional guy. Kind of hard to read. Me? Yeah. Uh, I just kind of show up and and say hi, and then I do my stuff, and then I go back and watch, you know, a, yeah, the History Channel or something. Yeah. Well, that I guess I out. took that as personal. I you know I decided he was just showing up and saying hi and leaving because of me. That's true. <laughs> that is true. I knew it. I fucking knew it. <laughs> so you just came back from Chicago. Yeah. You're a real road guy. I mean, I you know I know that more so than most you're out there like what every how many weeks a year pretty much every week it's been i mean uh you know when i was in new york i i did i worked every night for seven years i kind of looked at it as like college I just, yeah every night five or six shows and now i got i started headlining i, yeah. I just want to work every week that i can i i really haven't i've maybe had three or four weeks off in like five years now how are you able to uh maintain the relationships family that kind of thing uh, <laughs> do you talk to your family? Are you running away from something? <laughs> you actually, <laughs> I knew it. It's you. God damn it. Everything I thought was true. <laughs> no, I mean, my family's great. I, call, I, I talk to them once every two or three days and my, I got a great girl and, uh, you know, she's been very patient. So I hang out Mondays, Tuesdays, and Wednesdays. Seven years patient. No, no, no. Yeah. Uh, this is like three years. Yeah. Three years patient. It's kind of, so. it's kind of hard, isn't it? Yeah. It's not, it's not easy, but you know, it's like the hurt locker Yeah, where it's like, I go home and I get to spend some time and all I think about is just, oh, I got to work on that bit. I got to get some chicken fingers and dip it in honey mustard. I, 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 this is not fun. I need some bar food and to sleep in. Yeah, exactly. And, and wake up like you know five minutes before 10 so I can make my own waffle. <laughs> It's it's awesome when you get to go to the hotel. Can I get a wake up, wake up call for three p.m. please? Three p.m. Yes, yeah. three p.m. please. <laughs> I, I you know it's I've never traveled as much as I am now, and uh, and I'm finding that I don't mind it. I mean, I don't mind being in the hotel. It's kind of like yeah, uh, it's quiet. It's nice, you know, if it's not a shitty place. Do After you, a while, you enjoy it. Actually, yeah. it's it's just like oh, this is the job, and at the end of the day, it's just like I'm making a living doing this. Yeah. This is great. So yeah. I, I've never. I've never hated it. I've never not wanted to do it. I just I, love it. Yeah, I used to get aggravated and I used to dread it, but now like uh, I'm just getting to that point where I don't feel like I need to do things in the town that I go to. <laughs> you know, when you first go on the road, you're like, well, what is in this town? I got to go see it. And now you're like, I'm not fucking going anywhere. Yeah, I was just in Grand Rapids. I'm like, well, I could go to the Gerald Ford Museum for the third time, but for the I've third time. Yeah, I, I did. I went twice already. I got the documentary DVD that's produced in house. I'm just like, I, <laughs> enough. Enough. Out, out of all the things, yeah, that, that would not even make my list of things to do. There's nothing else to do in Grand Rapids. Oh, okay. So, but I guess what also interests me about you is you do like more than most for the troops, don't yeah. you? Yeah, my brother served. You know, everybody in my father's side served in the military except for me. My brother served. You know, after nine eleven, <clears throat> I was I was there. My brother was there. He was actually attending classes at uh, the community college downtown, and he heard the first boom really and he ran out because all the kids are like what, what the hell's going on here and he runs out and he sees the second plane hit and he felt the impact and he said the heat was so intense that he thought he was he was burned and he started running and he just ran for his life he, he didn't know what the hell was going on so right. he uh he had some nightmares and stuff and and about i'd say within two to three months he signed up for the army yeah 
and I think I was like 27, 28 at the time. So I was like, eh, I'm, I'm a little bit older. I don't know if I could contribute right. that much. And, right. and so, uh, he, he he joined, and then Colin Quinn went on a USO tour and was kind enough to take me, and it was such an amazing experience that ever since then I said, as long as I can do one you know, every every year, at least once a year, I'll, I'm going to try to do one. And where have you gone? I've been to Iraq, Afghanistan uh, two times or three times, uh, Japan and Guam. I, I've done some stuff in the in the States, too, yeah. you know, going around. To and when you bases. go, do they like a lot of dudes get, uh, they have fun stories about flying in Blackhawks and things like that. You, well, yeah, you get to fly in the Blackhawks, which is awesome. And they keep the back. It's so weird because like we, my buddy Ryan Dalton, I went with Ryan Dalton, and Peter yeah. Bungsley this last one. And we were, we were going and and Ryan documented the whole thing. He filmed it and you know they they you take off in the in the helicopters and they keep like the back door open. Yeah, yeah. And it's almost like a pickup truck and the guy's just chilling out. He's he's tethered to the thing, but it's just like, <laughs> wow, if we hit some turbulence yeah. or something, it's kind of kind of crazy. And uh, I mean, it's an amazing experience. I mean, just just flying around, you feel like a man. Yeah. You know, you yeah. got the bulletproof vest on, you got a helmet on. It's it's <laughs> badass. And then you see an 18, 19 year old kids that are just they're they're kids. Yeah. But they're out there yeah. know, fighting for us. And so. what do you uh when when you do it, have you seen any uh action? We got <laughs> the first <laughs> As a comic. The, were you at the front lines? The times I've gone in the helicopters we've gotten shot at, but you don't really know about it until you land. And, and then I they remember, tell you? Yeah, then they tell that, you. That's how they which treat is guests. Cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's. <laughs> but I, I'll never forget this one time. I was with Colin. Uh, we were in a C one thirty, which is one of those huge cargo planes. Yeah. And the pilot comes up. He's like, "Hey, we can take two of you guys. You can come up in front, have the headsets yeah. on. You can listen to us, and we're going to take off. You can watch the the ascent and the descent." And Colin's like, "Hey, Burn, let's go." So yeah. we go up to the front. Bobby's in the back. We're taking off, and we see these fireworks going off. Yeah. And I'm thinking, oh, that's cool. But they're celebrating something yeah. or whatever. And then they land, and they go. And as we're landing, they told us that those were uh, uh, flares, uh, heat-seeking flares, because we were being shot at by RPGs. Oh, okay. And Colin was just like, how great would that be that you and I knew that we were going to die, but Bobby's in the back just confused, just knowing the plane's going down, he's going to die by himself. Bobby, Bobby, <laughs> Bobby Kelly? Kelly, yeah. Ah. <laughs> so, <laughs> That would have been sad. He probably would have jerked off. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he was probably jerking off before even. <laughs> That's So where where did you grow up? I grew up in Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh, That's Pennsylvania. A, yeah, I don't know anyone from it's Pittsburgh. It's a hotbed for comedy. Uh, yeah, oh, but, yeah. But, you know, Gardell came out of it. He's on Mike and Molly now. Uh, Jezelnik. I thought, I he's thought doing great. I he's never from met Pittsburgh? Kid, but yeah, he's from Pittsburgh, yeah. You never met Jezelnik? I've never met him. How I, is that I possible? Thought, uh, I mean, what, have you been away from the cellar that long on the road that you... Yeah, I moved out of New York City seven years ago. Maybe. Really? Yeah. So How I stopped fuck? going there. I, I'm, you know, everything's becoming a big long blur. So where do you, where are you headquartered? Uh, now I, I just got a place in Chicago about uh, five months ago. I lived so, in L.A. for for six years, and then I got this place in Chicago. And and for me, it's like now I actually go to L.A. I'm doing stuff. Yeah. Which is, you right. know, I knew the minute I'd move, it'd be like, oh, now I have to go back for stuff. Right. I was there for six years, and Here. I wasn't doing anything. Yeah. yeah. But uh, now, as a comic, you get anywhere in two and a half, three hours. It's a direct flight. No, right. No layovers. It and just cuts the time. And it's the great. chick's in Chicago, right? And and my girl's in Chicago. Yeah. yeah. And her family's in Minneapolis, so it's like four hours, so she's great. So what what do you got going on here? Uh, working on a thing that we're pitching to Comedy Central today, and then another- Oh, really? Uh, like a sitcom that I'm writing with this guy named Rob Long. It's weird you haven't met Jez on it, because he was coming- Well, I guess when he when Fallon started, he lived, he was living in New York. He was going to cellar a lot. Oh, okay. He's a funny guy. I've heard great things about him. Yeah, yeah he's a good joke writer. I mean, there's so many young now, like Hannibal's great, yeah, uh, yeah. Colin Jost, yeah. uh, 
John Mulaney. Yeah. All those guys, they're, they're great comics. Yeah, our, like our time is done, Steve. Yeah, it's you, pretty much you over. You better grab something. <laughs> do you do colleges too? No, I'm getting in a bowling league with Dom Herrera, I think, uh, <laughs> next week. No, I, I stopped doing colleges. I don't like them. Well, they're really kids. They are kids, yeah. It's like now I'm, I'm 36. I don't have you know, You're kind of filthy. A little bit towards the end. Yeah, towards the end. Yeah, there's a big. Uh, I, I believe in there. There's a big fuck piece at the end. Correct. The Bruce Lee haven't said that. That that went to the rafters a few years ago. I, oh, did I retired that. Yeah. No, there was something where I know you're laying down on the stage. Oh, the doggy style one. Yeah. I don't do that on the road. You know, at the at the store, I do it with with Jeff yeah. because he plays the piano and it's right. just a fun thing. Right. But I hardly ever do that anymore. So. You pretty clean. Am I? Yeah. No. Oh. <laughs> no, it's getting my stuff's getting. Uh, you know, my first stuff was all about uh, silly stuff. Yeah. And then my second hour was about identity because, you know, there's a lot of guys that are mixed ethnicity like myself. For example, like Carlos, who will talk about being the beaner or whatever. But right. it's like, you're half German, too. Right. So that's why my stuff was never... I would always address being Asian, but yeah. I never made it a staple of my act. And then when the second hour came out, I was like, what it, What? What do I... I mean, who am I? Right. That was the basis of the whole thing. Right. Who am I? And it was about identity. And I'm like, I'm not Asian. I'm not Irish. I'm American. And that was the basis of it, of just being American. And, and now the second one, or the third one that I'm writing now is, is kind of more like a Gran Torino style where it's like addressing, being able to say things and not, not feel bad about them. Like what? Uh, you know, like, like one of my pieces now is on like the ADT. I don't want to do the bit obviously, no, but, right. but it's Where about, I was watching the ADT home security system ads. My buddy's like, you yeah. know, in every one of those, it's a white guy. Yeah. It is literally a white guy Who's in every single the one criminal. of those. Yeah. The, the, yeah. Yeah. Always the guy the in rapist, the hoodie, the, yeah. the, hoodie yeah. the watching girls on treadmills yeah. and all that stuff. And I was just like, it's really ridiculous that you, you know, and you look at the prison population, it's like statistically blacks, yeah. but, but you wouldn't know that because everybody's PC, you can't say these things, right. but, but it's like statistically they're the ones doing this stuff right. and, and, and you can't say that because then you're racist. But every one of the commercials to keep people out of your homes is white in the commercials. And I just thought that that's kind of, uh, kind of fucked up. Well, I mean, there are white racists, and there are white guys that wear hoodies and break into houses. Maybe they're just dealing with the the smaller numbers. Maybe those in the, in those yeah. neighborhoods, it, may, it could be a neighbor. You know, you never know. Yeah, this is exactly what I'm talking about, though. What is it? Somebody's got to defend. It's like, well, maybe, but yeah, well, maybe. But but what, let's wait, just, are you saying let's just that generalize? That, but are you let's, saying let's be real? Okay, well, we can generalize. But yeah. I mean, but uh, you can also say. That okay, even you're saying that it really should be a black guy because uh, that company should represent. I'm you saying know, mix it up. Most mix it up. Yeah, mix uh, it up. It doesn't every not every one of them has to be white. Maybe they should have a couple of guys breaking in: a black guy, a white guy, and a Mexican guy. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Yeah, like the three amigos of organized. Yeah, Wait, I, I think of I just, small petty. I crime. think I just I just got you a tag. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you very much. Can I borrow your pen? <laughs> now I won't walk away from you. At the at the comedy store, <laughs> uh, that's funny. The politically correct, you know, let's represent the prison population as best we can in an effective way. Yeah, uh, you know, I I was at the Underground Railroad Museum in Cincinnati again. But you're is on your the road. but is your suggestion though essentially that that they're afraid to do that because they oh, will absolutely yeah. But it, it is a be. commercial, and there is you know they have control you know over how they want to present things. Yeah, my last special, but it's you would, like you literally, would, you would think that if they put a black guy in, it'd be it'd be scarier to the white people that are trying to protect. Their oh, the, I, I yeah, the joke you know, and the joke I go, your sales will go through the roof. But right. it, it, it's just like you know, in my last special, it was li literally every single commercial you see on TV, 
it is black and white people nonstop. I see actually more pe- black people on commercials than I do in real life. Right. But every one of them, it's just like there was the movement like 10 years ago in Hollywood, we need more black actors, we need more black. And I'm not negating it at all. Believe me, you, I think it's a good thing. But I think it's just gone overboard. Well, I, I think it needs that, to be pulled back a bit. Well, expecting social responsibility from... Uh, you know, corporations that are doing advertising or even like, you know, there are issues of censorship that, you know, when somebody says uh, that's bullshit, man, they didn't let him say that on NBC. You know, it's like, yeah, yeah that's it. That's not a constitutional problem. I mean, that's a private business and they're deciding these things. That's not maybe it's not right. And maybe we have a problem with it, but it's not a constitutional problem. Right. Yeah. You know, I'm going through something now with uh, what were you going to say about the railroad thing? Where you were on oh, the... Uh, on the Underground Railroad. Yeah, uh, I was going through there, and that museum. The more I learned about slavery, yeah, for example, I just don't. I feel like white people just take a, a, a like a severe pounding in comedy. Like white guys are the bad guys, just constantly. You can you can easily make fun of white guys. But you, the minute you kind of turn around and make fun of, I've never really heard anybody defending defending white people. Right. So I, I started. We are the majority still. Yeah, but you you wouldn't know that by I, by what you can see on TV. I'm going through right now with uh, uh I got some notes from JP Buck from Conan. For Conan okay? Yeah. Now you can make fun of white people all day long, but you turn it around. You cannot make fun of black people. You cannot make fun of Mexicans. You can't like Sarah Silverman. You can't, you know, with the whole goog or chink thing or whatever. Right. Like you can't make fun of Asians or whatever, but you should be able to. I think everybody should be fair game. You can pound white people in a set. And and the but, set but I gave that him really, was just. What does that really look like? I mean, I, I mean, I understand what you're saying, but I think that even if, you know, the numbers are are, are skewing a direction to where we are more multi-ethnic, mm-hmm. that, that the paradigm and the power structure is still fundamentally white. Yes. And and I think that, you know, that if there's any sensitivity to it is that, you know, that's the truth. But I don't see anything wrong with saying that because I think the minute you say that people are like, oh, that's not, you know, it's everybody's distinct and everybody's special. But it's just like, look, the rule, the, the you cannot negate the numbers. White Whites are 60 to 7 percent of the population. That, that It's just that's it. So when you see more white people in commercials, you should. You shouldn't see as many black people in commercials. That that was the basis of one of my other jokes. But it's black just people like, is just a big market as well. So I mean, they they market to black people. There are certain things they should more market to more Latinos because they outnumber them. They're fourteen percent. Blacks are thirteen percent. Right. The the you know. But no. But what, I'm just trying to figure out. So your your point is that you know I find that I I find that some stereotype humor. Uh, if done right, is is good. Right. And and I think that if people do it, you know, in a fairly uh, equal way it's fine i I have no problem with it but i still don't see that there's like that you know white people are taking a beating i've never gotten that feeling and i've only heard it from a couple of people and you're you're half asian exactly yeah so i i kind of that's why i started playing the fence a little bit more on on this last special where i was thinking about identity i was thinking more about race because i was like what am i yeah exactly what am i so i just kept questioning that and i started looking at race a little differently and that became the basis of a lot of the new material and i think like for example, it's so easy to do an Asians can't drive joke, and Asians are great at math joke. But can they? I mean, I live in L.A. I mean, seriously. I mean, it would horrible. Be- <laughs> I'll be the first to say. Absolutely horrible. I mean, are we talking like an 80 percentile? I mean, it's enough to make it. Uh, it's enough to build a case. I mean, because like I'm not a guy 
that really, you know, wants to believe stereotypes. But mm -hmm. obviously some people say, and, and I think it's true, that the basis of stereotypes are true. And usually that community will, will admit to that. I agree. But I mean, living in L.A., it's, it's fucking amazing how predictable it is. Exactly. That, but you can't say these things. You should be able to say those things. You can. You're free to do it. You're just going to have to. As a comic. But you can't say it on TV. You can't, you can't say it in a late night set. You can't. You, everything's pulled. You know, the range but that's are pulled all back. But uh, that's all about advertisers. They, right. they don't they don't want to make any waves because they don't want to get any, you know hate mail or lose uh, lose an advertiser. I mean, though, you know, you got to look at it too. A lot of these media outlets are on their last legs financially. Oh, so yeah. I mean, you know, their panic is is probably you know worse than it ever has been. I agree. And, yeah. and it used to be about Christians, but now it's about any grassroots community movement. You know, making a stink uh, enough for uh, a product, uh, an advertiser. To say, like, you know, we're not going to take any more risks with this. Yeah. And then they're sunk. They don't give a shit about us. That's our job. We sell drinks and soap products. Cars. Yeah. We're just, we're just you know, in between <laughs> buy this. Yeah. So, I mean, so what's the struggle you've had with it? I mean, how, how are the jokes being received? I mean, what is, your point is basically we should be able to say this stuff because we're all Americans. Yeah, I think, uh, uh, you know, I grew up when it was a melting pot in America where, where everybody was supposed to to kind of blend together and now as as the years have gone on it almost seems like now we're kind of separating each other from each other where you you should be able to speak spanish in 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 class you should be able to learn about this you should be able to learn. instead of it all being a broad kind of we're all americans let's just focus on one thing instead of you know you have your little thing you have your little thing to me it just i I think it muddies the water too much. I think it should be a homogenous community and everybody should get along. And at the end of the day, that's that's the point of what I'm trying to convey. You know, when I was talking about the Underground Railroad, I started learning more and more about it. And, you know, it's just like, I think, again, white people get the blame for slavery. But I, I was going through the museum and I'm like, well, how did they come here? You know, the, the Africans were selling their own people to the whites. So... There, you know, you. I, I mean, I grew up in the right, in the but, 90s. But, but, it's like but, Mother Africa. It's like the people that sold you. Sure, but I mean, but, but also, you know, the, those were probably based in tribal conflicts. I'm sure members of one tribe were not selling the members of their tribe. Of course, not. they would and, overtake the right, smaller so, tribe and then sell that smaller right, tribe to right. To the, yeah. So, but but nonetheless, I mean, if you start having those conversations, like, hey, you know, look, it wasn't all our fault. You know, they were made available. <laughs> I agree yeah, with you. I agree you, with you. You can't yeah. really do that. But it's just like the blame can go round and round and round. But it's like let's just get over it let's, but, let's but i think the point is though like and this is an, an issue that you know that i have with uh with political correctness and also what you're saying is that in order for a melting pot to function mm -hmm. uh those communities had to be very well defined at the time of the melting pot even you know whether it was the jewish uh, immigrants italian immigrants or irish immigrants saw it when they got the freedom uh to to live here and right. and 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 uh try to get opportunity for themselves they grouped together in very strong communities that, you know, honored their traditions and honored their national heritage. Right. But they also knew they were in America. And I don't think that uh, is unlike anything that's going on here. In order to have a voice in this country, you, you know, you don't automatically, you know, just get one because you're here. And I think a lot of these communities, had they not defined themselves as communities within America, you know, would have just been overridden. And, and, and a lot of those communities were mistreated for years, you know, before they got enough momentum and money and a voice within the American cultural fabric before they could really establish themselves here. I mean, like Jews, for instance. I mean, Christ, you couldn't even go to a college. Mm -hmm. You know, you, and there was that, that whole idea of passing. And then and I think it also happened with the black community where you have some sort of uh, a schism within the community of people that are toming or, or, or acting too white. Right. Uh, you know, there, there are community standards and community ideas and, uh, and definition that I think are necessary to even, uh, you know, establish themselves as Americans with a unique lineage. That was great.
<laughs> I agree with everything you just said. That was great. Yeah. But I mean, I don't know. Like, I just I have a hard time with the idea of the white guy as victim. You know, because that's just too close to a you know a Tea Party disposition or to a you know the Christian victimness. You know that like you can sort of turn that for a white person to really say like you know you know fuck these minorities. Where's my job? It's like you know what you it's there, right? I, I yeah I know it, it is one slant yeah uh, of of what I'm trying to write or whatever. But, but again, what is the I, thematic all... of it all? As like you're coming at it to as somebody now is your mom or your dad Asian? Uh, my mom and and did she she was born here or no? Uh, no, she was born in Korea. My father met her when he was stationed there uh, uh-huh. during the Vietnam War. Well, that's sort of an interesting thing. I mean, that seems to, like, you know, I imagine that's been condescended to on some level. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. You know, the uh, the idea of the American bringing home the, the Asian bride. It, it's not kind of, it, it is a fact. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I mean, people just... have a certain assumption about that. Oh, yeah. yeah. Absolutely, yeah. What, I mean, have you taken any uh, sort of, um, any hits for your ethnicity? Have I taken yeah. hits for my ethnicity? Yeah. Oh yeah, all my life. Like what? I, you know, like in the last special, I I addressed it in terms of whatever. Basically, when you're mixed, yeah, whatever kind of dilutes, whatever fucks up the water, yeah, that's what you are. Uh, whatever kind to of white fucks people. up the whitey, right? That's what you are. Right. If you're half, you're black. If right. you're half Asian, you're Asian. Because right. I've been called gook, chink, panfate. I killed your dad in Vietnam. Like I've heard everything on it. I've never been called Irish ever. Yeah, ever in my life. Not I was even in, by your Irish family. Like your, your, your <laughs> no. grandparents, bring the nip kid over. They all they they passed away actually uh, early on because uh, you know they hit the sauce quite a bit. So oh really? Yeah. So your oh so your grandparents? So they didn't they never met you? I met my grandmother when I was a baby. Uh, you know I don't really I can't I have no memories of her. So you, do really. you? But do you have uh, relatives on your father's side that you, you think look at you differently? Cousins or anything else? No, I mean, once you're family, you're all family. Yeah, but, yeah. You know, it, it is still kind of. Kind of. I mean, it's. Do you ever get like, is he adopted? <laughs> <laughs> no, my dad's family is really small, so it's it's been a weird kind of family. Uh, what do you mean weird? Um, you know, it's just a <laughs> tight. Yeah, a tight, a tight, tight knit family, but yeah. it, it was strained over years over over circumstances that I don't even yeah. know too much about. But oh, yeah, it sounds yeah. interesting. That's, okay, not really, <laughs> not really, <laughs> no. But what about your Korean side? I mean, is that a large family? Do you have? Oh uh... yeah, it's like, uh, yeah. When I was growing up, I, I was five years old. We had two two of my other families living with us in Jersey. Uh-huh. So I remember my cousin came over, and he threw up Raymond noodles all over the backyard like pockets and yeah. I just thought wow the, the, these are crazy worms I've never seen these before and yeah. then I realized he's eating Raymond noodles and just booting them because he wasn't used to the water <laughs> oh, they, man. they, they, they didn't came over what, from Korea yeah straight off the yeah straight off the plane uh-huh. and say boat but they didn't even know what automatic windows were like my dad would put down the windows and he was f- totally fucking with my aunt when they were coming back from the airport and she, she, the she kept freaking out yeah oh, really? she thought it was haunted or something magic yeah <laughs> oh, no. so I mean that's how that's how poor they were so now, like even in the in the situation that you just you know, set up, which was that you know you were uh, singled out mm-hmm. a, as being something that uh, you, you know was limiting and, and racist. I mean, there's no how, how do you come around to the fact that that white people are getting the uh, short end of the stick here? Uh, I think in terms of when you're doing stand up, it's it's very easy to make fun of everybody. You know, if you're if you're of race, right? It's very easy to get away with stuff. Um, but oh, I see what you're saying. When so you're, you're white and you take that angle and you try to make fun of other, you you're, you're just going to get slammed. You're going to look. You're going to be looked at as racist. It's going to be very uncomfortable in the room. There's very few people that can pull it off, like Bill Burr. 
pulls that off. He walks the line. But making racial observations. Colin. Colin's great. Uh, Lampanelli does it, but to an umpteenth degree where it's so ridiculous. Well, you know, it's weird when you talk about it because, you know, when I've talked about it at all, and I do, and and it's just like people, and even you, you know, you're saying something that shouldn't be um, challenging. You're making an observation. You're not being a racist. And it should not be, you know, you shouldn't feel like, you know, before you say like, oh, God, here we go. Right. Like there's a like an, a, a weird nervous excitement to mm-hmm. just, you know, making an observation. Right. Uh, that, you know, that is, you know, is going to misinter- be misinterpreted. And a lot of audiences will stifle their reaction to it, even if it's fine, because they don't know, you know, where you're coming from. You know, all they know is you're talking about race and they're going to sit this one out. Yeah. It really, I mean, especially in working on this on this new special tour in the country and yeah. stuff. The minute you talk about other races, you know they'll, they'll kind of ooh, ooh, yeah, come on, yeah. Just can can you not just not? And then they the, can't even trust their own instincts. But yeah, but you're yeah. slamming, slamming white people, slamming, slamming. They're dying laughing, clapping. It's like those are the jokes you should be offended at. You're slamming this white people point. as an Asian, on some level. I mean, you know, you're obviously. If you're, I address that I'm. That, that I'm both, but I look at myself as an American. Right. That's how I look at myself. Right. That's how I view myself. That's the view I took because early on I knew that I could be an Asian comic. I could draw an Asian crowd or whatever. I could I could play one side of the fence and milk it. Right. But I never wanted to be that. And it took me a while to learn, to, to figure out who I was right. on stage, you know? Right. And now you're you're fighting the fight for the victimization of white people. It's time to turn. No, that's just one one part of, <laughs> of the act. <laughs> just one, you know, eight, 10 minute. Chunk. How, how do that's you frame it. it? Do you frame it that, you know, your father's white? I, I mean, is it framed in in your ethnicity or I mean, how do you how do you frame the material? Um. I, I mean, it's weird because you're asking me about a bit, and then instantly I have to see it like on a set list and go, "Oh, okay, this yeah, is no, how no, set I, it yeah, up." You, you know, go through the roller. But I, I just say, is there anything wrong with stereotyping people? And I don't think there's anything wrong with stereotyping people, and and that's how I kind of set right. it up. It's not the most genius way of getting into. Well, if you it, really but... think about how the the white stereotype plays uh, from ethnic comics, it's usually you know some interpretation of Pryor's white guy. You know, whether Mexicans oh. do it or, or Latinos or whether black people do it, it's always like, oh, is this where we're sitting, dear? You know, it's always that weird, yeah, how are you Uptight, starting? Yeah, yeah, yeah Connecticut, yeah, yeah, polo yeah. collar yeah. up, and uh-huh. yeah, just it's, no. It's just, it's interesting, though, that that that, that stereotype is, is even more limited uh, than the way that those ethnicities are stereotyped. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It, it, you know, it, at least there's a, a language and a, a sort of community base to uh, the way that uh, you, know, stere- you know, ethnic stereotypes are, are placed on others. Like, like even if it's if the Mexicans or the blacks and even the Chinese to some degree, all those stereotypes involve uh, you know a broader sw- you know part of their communities. Like you know, there's a whole list of things that may or may not be true. Most of them are true on some level. Yeah. that are drawn from that community. But when those ethnicities characterize a white person, it's very specific. It's got no real bearing on on what white people are. It's always just sort of like, why are we? Uh, is this a bad neighborhood, dear? <laughs> you know, and <laughs> it's always just this doofus that's gotten himself into a little nervous or a little hot water somehow. <laughs> Wow, what a pickle! Yeah, yeah. It's, it's constantly Clark Griswold. Yeah, you know, roll them up, kids. That's interesting. That's, that's I never, I never really it. thought of that. That uh, you know, I, I guess uh, I've, I've heard some. Mark, bo- yeah. you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs>
You're, well, thank you very much. I appreciate <laughs> I appreciate the thinking. But I've heard some black comics who who have you know taken on you know certain areas of white culture, like the hipsters or whatever. I mean, Patrice will, will and I love that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're a little more specific in their stereotyping. When you dig a little deeper, it's it's yeah, yeah, absolutely a little broader, but more specific. Like they're at least acknowledging that there are other type of uptight white people. <laughs> Yeah, you, you know what I mean. That it's not all just a sort of like a middle class, middle aged couple, but there are younger people that are uptight as well. Yeah, I was reading the Outliers. Yeah, and there was a there was a part in it where I, where he was talking about why Asians are good at math. Yeah, and and it, it comes down to language about the syllables being shorter. You know, four is one syllable, but it's kind of drawn out. And as a little kid, when you're developing, four is a it takes a lot to process one. Yeah. Boom, it's done. So yeah. he, he was he was describing that and and so I wrote a joke about that and I think you just dig a little deeper, you find out you find find the, the truth behind what it is you're trying to say. I could sit up there and and do Asians are good at math jokes all day, but I don't want to do that. I want to why are Asians good at math? That's right. that's the better joke for me. Right. So I I want to find that with with all the different kinds of ethnicities and and So in a sense that. by, you know, by going deeper into, you know, what makes stereo what makes stereotypes true uh you get you know you you create uh an actual uh broader understanding of the culture that has been stereotyped yeah i i think you know the the thesis is that i'm for that i'm putting forth in the in 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 most of the stuff is that when you stereotype people you're not saying all of them right you're saying most of them right most not all right and i don't think it's I don't think it's racist to also state the obvious. You know, Joe Biden got in trouble for saying all the Middle Easterns run the 7-Elevens. I was watching this thing on CNBC. Yeah. It's like, yeah, they they mostly do. But yeah. you get all this flack for it. It's like, well, it, what's wrong with saying that? I mean, right. Asians do directly. Every one of them in my neighborhood does. Yeah. And if I wasn't Asian and I said that, that could be racist. But, but, I think, but it's I think, not ra- it's not ra- it's racial. Right. That's right. It's but generalizing. It's yeah. But it's not racist. You know, racist would be like, you know, I hate 7-Eleven because they're run by stinky Middle Easterns. Right. Yeah. Then, then you know, that's an issue. But just saying like, you know, from my experience, you know, I, I talk about that with uh, with my awkwardness around, around Chinese. Like, mm-hmm. uh, I, I say... Um, you know, I don't know anything about them. I mean, we eat their food. You know, just, uh, just say sorry about the tsunami. Yeah, right. You can do that. Yeah, I can do that after every joke. <laughs> Look, I don't. I hope you're not misunderstanding me. You know, after every joke, I yeah. kicked a few bucks in. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not trying to be insensitive. I sent a check to whoever for the. I thing. did text seven eight seven seven to Red Cross. So <laughs> yeah. please, we're good, right? No, but I. I mean, but I know that's my. That comes from my own. Uh, ignorance, which is where racism comes from, but I, you know, I don't have anything against them. Usually, when I feel different or alien from a culture, mm-hmm. it, it's I just want to be accepted. I'd probably rather be in that culture because <laughs> then I, I think I would have some definition to my life. So next time I see you, you'll be in a kimono. Yeah, but that would be like I don't want to try that hard. You know, I don't want to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll be you know, or, or talking. Uh, uh, you know, in some uh, uh, black slang of right. some kind, but you see that all the time. That you know, people want to have an identity, a cultural identity. So your message is basically, we're all Americans. Some of this stuff is true, but why not embrace it as opposed to minimize exactly. it? Exactly. Yeah. All right. And have fun with each other. Yeah, and you know, lay off the white people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Everybody's fair game. Oh yeah. It's right. Grand Torino. Okay. All right. Yeah, and that guy really had uh, an, a pleasant disposition. <laughs> yeah. He re- <laughs> 
<laughs> he, he really came upon his acceptance. But that a... shop and the barber scene was so refreshing. It's like, why is that wrong to to, to be around a bunch of guys and, and jab yeah. and have fun? No, no, I agree because with you. Because it just takes one person to be in that room and be like, you know, I didn't like it, what was going on in there, and then they talk to a supervisor or whatever, and then everything's, you know. Right. You, can't, you guys can't talk like that at work. It's right. just like, ugh. So your so parents guys, are happy with what you do? Uh, yeah, they, my mom, yeah. They were they were they were very supportive from the get go. You know when I first started because I I was working the floors at at Caroline's. Yeah. That's how I got into stand up. I were, had a college. You wouldn't even work in the floors. I I, I answered the phone. I swept oh, the right. floors. Uh, just a a shit job out of college. Right. Just trying to make money. Right. And I saw the comics. I thought that looked like fun. I gave it a few months, and then my folks used to go with me to New York Comedy Club every weekend, one week like a Saturday or uh-huh. Friday, once. Once a week for like maybe three months, uh-huh. I did that every single, and they saw me do the same horrible jokes every single time. But they paid; they'd wait two and a half, three hours. You know, I mean, well, that that's place, nice. Yeah, you both, your mom and dad. Oh yeah, every time. So they were my two, two. Because customers. it's interesting. You come from uh, from military, and and Korean. Both of them have very controlled and and demanding expectations of their offspring generally. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, and and you seem to got off easy. <laughs> I did get off easy. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, I th- when when I when I first did the Tonight Show, that's when it really hit home for my mom. It's not it a like, phase. Oh. It seems to be working out. Yeah, <laughs> ten years in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, that, I mean, that's how long it takes. What are you going to do? Yeah, I think the, most of the time parents are just worried. Yeah, well, they just uh, want the best for you, of course. Yeah, yeah. You, you would hope. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I'm not completely sure. So now, when you lived. I, I guess we can, you know, bring up, you know, the the fact that your your first manager was Barry Katz. Here we go. <laughs> yeah. Was he though? Ding ding. Uh, no, my first was Roger Paul actually. Oh, Roger Paul with all the gigs and the and the ex wife who used to do the brides bit. What Claudia was her name? Yeah. Sherman. Yeah, I yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. And he used to run gigs in Jersey. And he used to do right Long Island. Yeah, yeah the whole tri-state. Yeah, he was your first guy. A lot of guys started with him. Yeah, he he found me at New York Comedy Club. The second time I performed, he gave me his card, uh-huh. and I went and met with him. And uh, yeah, it just started working right away. I kind of got lucky. Uh huh. So yeah, but Cats, I started working with Cats. Uh, I don't know, maybe a few years. Now, ago. I don't know if people know, but Barry Cats is a fairly infamous manager. I mean, when I was, <laughs> but even back in 1988, I mean, when he was running a, a comedy booking operation and college booking operation and. Um, out of a basement in Alston, Massachusetts. You know, he offered to sign me. He mm-hmm. signed a lot of guys in. I think Louie was with him. Nick DiPaolo was with him. Uh, there was a lot of people that no longer do comedy. Anthony Clark was with him. I mean, he, he went on this massive signing thing. There was a lot of people that were with him at one point or another. And uh, he, you know, he, he's got, you know, a reputation, but he's also got a lot, you know, Jay Moore was with him. Uh, Chappelle was with him for a while. But a lot of these guys aren't with him. I don't know his whole roster, but he definitely has a reputation. I, I wouldn't say it's slimy, but it's certainly ambitious. Uh, maybe a little slimy, but, you know, <laughs> I've known the guy for years. I mean, to call someone, you know, on that side of show business slimy, you know, and have it mean anything is... is It's yeah. the norm. Yeah, it kind of is. But, yeah. you know, we all... But, you know, some of them are better than others, and, you know, I don't want to make Some any, are slimier. Right, yeah, okay. <laughs> I don't want to make it... It's, it's a tough business exploiting talent. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you've really got to... Yeah. But but the the bottom line is you were with Barry Katz, and, and, and obviously, you know, Barry's biggest star to date, I would have to think, you know, between Jay uh, and Dane, Dane Cook has to be Dane Cook. Yeah. Now I had Dane Cook in here, right. and uh, we had talked about you know I had talked about this with you afterwards, and there was a, a very pivotal part of the interview, 
where he accused someone of stealing his essence. I don't know if I brought up your name in that interview, did I? Uh, I think I did. I think, yeah, I think you did. Yeah. Right, and and Dane's reaction was, uh, yeah, but we resolved it. We had a conversation about it, and uh, you know, we we resolved it. Right, and then you know, you wrote me a letter, and you said uh, you wrote me a message on Facebook, and said, uh, no, that's not what happened. Yeah, uh, he has uh, his inter- interpretation of of the events. And I certainly have my interpretation of the events. And and when it first came out, I, I remember I got all these emails and for years people would bring oh, because it up on the radio. Of, uh, and, because, oh, because, because of my of podcast. Right. Yeah. I mean, it was just like, boom, boom, mm. boom. I was like, what is going on here today? And uh, for years, I never talked about it on the radio. People would try to get me to talk about it on the radio on Sirius. Norton asked me a few times to come in. Opie and Anthony, I was like, what was the I, I myth behind it? it? I mean, like like when people heard that, and how, how did it get public? I mean, what, what was... Well, uh, I mean... The, I, I think it goes along with how big he was, mm-hmm. with how big Dane was, mm-hmm. um, because it was one of those things that, that kind of circulated, went around, and and people would just ask me about it quite were a bit, especially when I was on the road. Uh, no, we weren't friends. We were acquaintances, sure. I would say. Like that we, we all are. Yeah. We, you know, you say, uh, sure. hey, how you doing? Yeah. You know, how's right. things going? That was it. Um, but, you know, what he, I never talked about it, and then- even it's been months since it it's come out, and there was a moment where I was like, I should talk. Eh, the hell with that. I don't what, when talk it first happened, or with me? Yeah, when it when when the podcast oh, happened. Yeah, okay, I yeah. just I just didn't want to. I don't want it to become a he said she said kind of mm-hmm. kind of thing. Go mm-hmm. back and forth, whatever. But then I just kept getting asked about it. To be honest, and I, that's probably due to the popularity of the podcast. Uh, well, yeah, I think that there's a, a community of comedy nerds and, and people who are interested in comedy, but there's also those who like conflict and are, you know just love to get people, you know, worked up about something. Right. But but my, you know, even after I did it, you, you know, when you approached me, you, you know, I thought like, well, is this going to become, you, you know, some sort of war? And and again, it's old news, but I, I think that if there is a, a, a sequence of events that uh, was sort of glossed over, and and people, yeah. you know, were damaged because of it. It's it's worthy to talk about. Well, believe me, you, uh, it, it is. It, when it first happened, I was affected uh, emotionally. I was I was kind of bummed out, and I never wanted to talk about it because I didn't want people to think that that here's Dane, who's this blossoming co- comedian at the time. And I didn't want them to think that, oh, this is why he, he's complaining. Because this is why he's not well, succeeding. He, wa- he wasn't you know? blossoming. I mean, he was huge, right? Uh, at the time, he, it was just before he hit. So how many years ago was that? Oh, God. This has got to be 2004, 2005, uh-huh. maybe. And it, It's where everybody, if you were stand-up, you knew who Dane was. And right. He was, he was getting ready to blow up. Right. But um, the rest of America, he wasn't like right. the huge star Right, but it was, you felt the, the, the rocket was launching. Oh yeah, it was T minus ten nine. So so essentially, this is this is what what happened from my interpretation. Right. Okay. Um, again, my truth. Right. I I you know D- uh, Jay Davis had the room Dublin's. Then he had the room Excess, which was the huge. You know, Dublin's was this huge show Dublin's. that everybody Sun- went to. Sunset Boulevard. That Jay Davis is a comic slash comic producer that Jay Davis and Ahmed Ahmed ran this great show right and yeah. it was packed all the time right and Dane probably had a lot to do with that success right. he, everybody would come and, and see Dane now mm. I just moved from New York I really didn't know Dane I yeah I know I knew him because I was working with cats whatever but I didn't know him know so him. Barry Katz was your manager at the time already yeah and set me up with Jay right. and, and right. introduced me sure. to the room whatever so Jay runs the room excess now because mm-hmm. Dublin shuts down mm-hmm. so I call him on Tuesdays hey can I come down and it was never a problem usually I'd, I'd come in if he didn't have a full roster and I called him up one time I said hey uh can I can I stop by tonight well uh I don't I don't think you can 
yeah, because you haven't called me back. What, is something wrong? Had you done wrong? the room before? Tons, tons. Oh yeah. yeah. Uh, what, what's what's wrong? Oh well, uh, Dane has a problem with you. Dane's got a problem with me. He goes, yeah, Dane. Dane's got a problem with you. Okay, well, I got Dane's number. I'll call Dane up. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. so I called Dane up. I go, uh, I heard you have a problem with me. He goes, yeah, I do. I go, okay, well, where do you live? I'll I'll drive over and we can talk it out. We can figure this out. That that's kind of how it always been. Just communicate. Mm-hmm. So. So right there, I got my car, I drove over, and we did talk. Now, when he talks in the podcast, he made it seem like, I'm going to do this guy a good one. I'm going to call him up. I'm going to bring him over. I'm going to sit him on my knee and and, and have a nice chat about comedy. It's like, no. This started because you didn't want me playing Jay Davis's room. But Okay, so you go over there, and what was the conversation? I went over there. We had a long conversation. Um, You know, he... He told me that that you're stealing my essence. You're trying to be me. You're you're trying to, you know, have my essence on stage. And I'm just like, look, before I moved here, I didn't know who you were. I heard of you. I I, I didn't I didn't work seven years in New York in, in New York City for seven nights a week, five shows, sometimes ten shows a night, yeah. to try to be a knockoff version of anybody else. I'm trying to do me, you know. Yeah. And then in the podcast, he goes, uh, he goes, you know, Steve even said that he had a conversation with his father about who, you know, about his comedy. It was like, yeah, I was having a conversation with my dad. I, I, I'm still not trying to emulate, emulate you. It's not, you know, you're not meriting anything by saying that. It's like, literally, I was trying to still discover myself. That's that's the conversation we had. It, yeah. I always heard your your famous thing is that it takes 10 years in comedy to be an overnight success. It takes 10 years to, to figure out your voice in comedy. And I had not approached that benchmark yet. And I was like, I'm still figuring it out, you know? Yeah. But I'm not trying to be like you. I'm not trying to be like anybody. I'm trying to be me, but I'm yeah. trying to figure it out. Yeah. That that's that's the gist of of what I'm trying to do. Sure. So, uh, you know, in the thing he's saying, uh, you know, Steve's dressing like me. He's trying to dress. Like, it's like, dude, jeans and a t-shirt. Yeah. I mean, I never wore a suit until I was headlining. You, yeah. You name me. You look at any roster. Tell me what they're wearing. Jeans and a t-shirt. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what I was wearing when I was performing. I wasn't trying to be like him or I never got yeah. highlights in my hair or anything like you know I never wore bracelets or you know I it just like <laughs> yeah I, I to me it was just it was mind blowing but we did have a conversation okay at the end of it it was it was a decent conversation did he did he cite bits did he cite you no, know like he, certain... and he said that he said I can't I can't name a specific bit mm. but you're 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 trying to be like me you're you're trying to steal my essence and I was just like the, the essence thing came up over and over again it came up a few times, yeah, but it just that was he was he was looking for a word. That's the word he he landed on, and sure. he just stuck with it. Um, I, you know, when, when we when we left, I thought it was a decent conversation. Okay? Yeah, and when I was leaving, he goes, you know, maybe it's not your time to be here right now. Maybe it's not your time to be in Los Angeles right now. Really? And I was just like, oh, jeez. I, I I thought we were kind of gonna end it all right and this is the last that was the last thing he said to me before i left and and i i'm not making this up like i i swear to god this happened this is again with everything that i'm saying um he goes you know i feel like i'm in this city right now i drive up into the hills i overlook the city and i give this city my energy and I get the energy back from the city. And he shut his eyes and he started breathing in and out and kind of doing this thing with his fingers. And I was just like, this dude's just lost the plot. And I just said, I, I, 
I'm done. I don't know what else yeah. to say. And I go, okay, well, okay, <laughs> goodbye. I left. Okay. Now I tell, look, we're comics. Yeah. You know, I had like two or three pals at the time. Hey, what'd you do today? What'd you do today? Oh, you went to the Grove? Hey, here's what I did today. Uh, I guess Dane had a problem with me. I went over and talked to him. He accused me of stealing his essence. Oh, that's fucked up. Yeah, it's kind of fucked up. All right, I'll see you at this store tonight. Yeah. That's it. Well, it takes like two or three guys to tell three or four more guys, and then six more guys know, and then eight more guys know, okay? So now I'm at the Hollywood Improv about a month later. Yeah. And (laughs) and I see Dane there. Yeah. And he goes, let's go outside. I got to talk to you. I go, okay. So I go outside. He goes, why are you telling everybody about our conversation? I go to, I didn't tell any, everybody. I told two or three of my pals, and then they probably told a bunch of people. Yeah. But it's not like I made anything up. It's the truth. He's like, well, that's really fucked up, man. We had a conversation between the two of us. I go, I go, look, man, I'm not trying to be like you. I don't know where this is headed, but just lay off. You know, I don't know what the fuck's going on here, but I'm not trying to steal your essence. I'm not trying to be like you. Yeah. Whatever. All of a sudden, it, it gets a little heated. I hear like uh, heated how like you were gonna kick his ass or he's gonna pee. You we were up just or... going back and forth and stuff, and and he was pissed, but it's just like, dude, I'll fucking go if you want to go. I don't give a fuck. Yeah, you know, let's go. Let's let's. Are you a goer? I've I've gone. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I've uh, gone in my day. I, yeah. Yeah. I, I'll go. Yeah. But uh, Alex, the manager, yeah, calls me and he goes, "Burn, get in here. Let's go. We're starting the show." I start running in, realizing, "Fuck, I got to bring this guy up." So I got to bring Dane. Oh, and we're out there. Dane goes, uh, I'll never forget this. He goes, he goes, you want to get our, get our fans involved? I go, what? He goes, do you want to get our fans involved? I, I'm like, I have no fans. I, I think I just had a half hour. You know, yeah. I have no fans. What are you talking about? Get our fans involved. I, I just thought, what a delusional kind of... Okay, so I, I got to run inside. But the weird thing is, is that he wasn't delusional. He was executing power. You know, that he knew that, you know, his time was upon him. So he basically said, you know, get out of my city and I'm going to call my army, you know, into operation. Right. The Dane train was going to run me over. Right. So... So I, I run in, I got I to gotta bring him up, right? And I'm, I'm sitting there, I'm like, fuck, you know, I just had this kind of argument with him outside and now I got to bring him up. Do I give him a shitty intro? Do I uh, give him a good intro? You know, whatever. Uh, I don't think we shook hands because most comics, you, but you, you were respectful. Hands, I was being respectful yeah. and I, I would look like a dickhead. I'd look like a dickhead if sure. I, this guy sucks. Yeah, yeah. Get and, and the crowd would turn on me because right. he's huge. So, you know, whatever. And he was huge by then. He was, yeah, he was getting huge, Yeah, uh, I would say. And obviously, he, he's done quite well for himself. Now, he, the next day, I get an email from Barry Katz, our manager, a guy I worked with for five, five, six years, the guy who told me to move to California. And within a few months, this happens. The next day, I, I, I check my email, and it's an email saying that it, it's maybe a paragraph long, couldn't call me, mm-hmm. paragraph long. Sorry, I can no longer tend to your to your needs as a client. I just had a second baby. I really apologize. I wish you all the best. It, it's something along those lines. Right. That's it. I'm thinking you got to be you got to be kidding me. Well, it doesn't take a rocket scientist. And I right. can't prove. Right. I can't prove why why Barry dropped me. Right. But the day after we right. have this argument at the improv about you know me stealing his essence. Now. Yeah. Now I don't have a manager and. You know, he bans me from doing Jay Davis's thing, and I can't do the Laugh Factory I heard from a guy who used to manage there that Dane said, no, he's not welcome here. You know, it's all hearsay. I can't prove anything, but it's just the stuff that came back mm-hmm, to me again, mm-hmm. you know? And I'm not yeah. I'm not saying that he did that. Right. I'm saying it's just what I heard. Mm-hmm. So 
now I don't have a manager and I'm sitting there and I'm stewing. And imagine, you know, you're, you're a young kid. I used to, I used to be able to do every club in New York city at any given time. You come yeah. to LA, nobody gives a shit. Yeah. And Dane's the big guy in, in LA right now. Right. And I'm just sitting there and I'm just like, I was so confused cause I just moved to LA too. Right. So I'm all fucked up. I didn't know what's going on. And it took me a few, maybe like a year or two to kind of get over it where, where I was just like, wow, I, I can't believe somebody would say those things or do those things to another human being. I, I just think that the politics of it is, is very interesting that, you know, you've got a guy who's got momentum. He's making other people money. He knows he's on the rise. He knows that he has this, you know, insane fan base. Mm-hmm. He knows that, you know, that, you know, he, you know, his ego is huge. And, and he's got a guy that, that is in the business of, of managing talent and he decides to to take you know to to you know to make your livelihood suffer. And and the ironic thing is is that you know I did get to a place where I was like you know what uh, in this business at the end of the day you always got to work the hardest for yourself. It right. doesn't matter who you have, what agent, what manager. You got to produce it mm-hmm. and you got to figure it out and you gotta you got to be relevant. You got to keep writing. And that's when I started really kind of chime in. And I got I got the hour special. Then I got the second one and. Now I'm writing this one, but when I was uh, at the comedy store, this is maybe two or three years ago, yeah. I guess Dane was going to start working at the store. Ooh. I guess he ran into Pauly. So a lot of the comics drafted up a petition. They were given a Mitzi, and, and I forget who it was that called me, but they said, everybody signed this petition. He's showing up there tonight because Mitzi's going to be there tonight to see him, to obviously pass him or whatever, but it's just one of those things you had to do. So... Burn, you got to come because everybody knows you, you got to show up. I'm like, I'm not showing up. I'm not going to be there. I'm not signing a petition. I'm not going to stand in the parking lot with a bunch of other guys with their arms folded to to ban somebody because it already happened to me. I don't like that happening to me, and yeah. I wouldn't want to do that to anybody else. Even if it's the very guy that did it to me, yeah. I wouldn't do that. Right. So you guys can go ahead, but I'm not part of this at right. all. And I remember I just stayed home, whatever, and that, that, that kind of was where – that that's when I kind of really uh, was done with it. You Let know? it go, because because it would it would bug me. I'd be at the improv and I'd see him, mm-hmm. and I'd I'd be like, oh, mm, I yeah. want to, yeah. Know. And uh, Neil Brennan actually talked me down one day, and he's just like, just get out of here, just leave. You know, yeah. it's not going to change anything. You're not going to yeah. do anything, and it, it would get me angry if I if I visibly see him. And now he could literally be in your front yard mowing yeah. the grass. Well, or I have a surprise for you. Just, he's hey, <laughs> Dan Cook, ladies and gentlemen. And what would you wouldn't feel anything? You'd be just like, hey, I wouldn't feel anything. No, I mean there there is a, you know, it it depends if we had a conversation or whatever, and he, and he he lit a fuse. Yeah, yeah, I, I'd probably. Uh, so even though, I'd like in angry, retrospect, but... uh, you, you did all right for yourself. Clearly, it didn't it didn't diminish your career at all. No opportunities were lost, but he definitely tried to cripple you. It made and... me work a lot harder, you know, because I I. I you know, I w- for example, I was with Cats for years. Yeah, I couldn't get a half hour special. Right, he drops me. I said, "Well, fuck it, I'll do it my- myself." I found out who who books the half hours. I filmed a set at the Cleveland Improv, sent it in. Within three months, I booked my own half hour special. I didn't have a manager. I didn't uh-huh. have anybody. Look and I was at just that. Like, all right, that's all I need to know now. Do you have a manager now? Me. Yeah. Oh yeah. So, <laughs> but it took a bit to get over it. You know, it was just it, it's kind of a. It was a mind fuck, I guess, because especially when you when you take in the the fact that he was and probably is as as big as he was, knowing that that person um, was kind of 
doing these weird things that you're just like, wow, you got you got the whole world by the string, and and you're worried about me. It's yeah, like it's I'm, a- I'm not trying to do anything, man. I'm I'm trying to get up at Club Excess. Yeah. And you could you you, you could go to Notre Dame right now for fifty thousand dollars. Yeah. At the time, who yeah. knows how much a guy's yeah. making or whatever. A right, but it's just like that's right. It's, for it's, me, it's, I couldn't get over that. It's a it's an abuse of power in the in the world of the in the politics of the world that we live in. Uh, it's an abuse of power, and 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 it, it comes from a megalomaniacal place, and it comes from a guy that you know was threatened, and it was it was Machiavellian. I think I'm using that word right. I hope I am. Uh, I believe you are. <laughs> Good. And do you forgive him? Yeah, if I saw him. Again, if I saw him, I'd be like, you know, yeah. I- I'm fine. I'm doing my thing. I'm working hard. I got a great career. I got a great girl. My family's healthy. Yeah. I love my family. I love my friends. I got yeah. a great crew around me. So I don't think about that anymore. It's not something that, you know, even when guys ask me on the road and stuff, I just wouldn't talk about it. I just, I was just, I don't want to, I don't want to get that, negative. Isn't that interesting? It still comes up. It's like Mancia and Rogan. It comes Rogan. up all the time. Really? Yeah. Young comics, yeah, that that pop in. Hey, could I get a guest set or the, or the kid that's I'm seeing the week? You know, these are the people that ask me about it because they listen to the podcast, they've heard the story. I don't know who, how they know, but but I get asked about it all the time. I I was just at Sirius Radio and they and they asked me to, uh, about it. And I'm uh-huh. like, I'm not gonna, yeah, I'm not gonna talk about it. What's well, interesting, like you know, this whole essence idea and in that, you know, it, it just to, to to sort of couch it in 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 that phrasing i mean everybody like you said it's like you know look we, we try to find our voice everyone gets influenced and then you know some dudes you know I, i've seen many guys go through phases of of, of styles right and, you know and, and whatever but you know for for him to you know to take that you know to be that that's a i'll tell you that's a great moment you know like, <laughs> I, I, I go up into the hills and you know i put my energy out into the city and the city gives it back to me i that to me was the was the more fucked up thing than the essence thing, but it's something I always kept to myself. I never really told anybody about uh, it, but I was like, well, you know, yeah. might as well bust this open like a fine wine and yeah, let yeah, everybody yeah, enjoy yeah, this, yeah, please. Yeah. But in terms of, uh, and he takes a couple deep breaths and in front of me, I'm like, where the, where are the doves? What's what's going to happen here? Is Ashton coming out? What the fuck? <laughs> is happening here and i just that's when i was like okay i I, i'm out yeah yeah. great great hanging good okay wow jesus oh god that's great but after going through that experience i see young kids on the road i see guys at the store the improv what are they looking for from you though what do they want they want dirt right dirt yeah yeah i just don't i i just don't give it what do you make of that i mean like i i found that not not just with that situation but this constant need to you know encourage conflict uh, it's just it's it's very bizarre to me, but our culture and the media seems to be driven on it. They they just want to pit people against each other or watch people fall apart. And... Well, it's tabloids. It's it, I mean, it's it's you know you write yeah. a script. Every every scene has got to have conflict in it. Yeah. So it's yeah, it's fascinating. You don't want to watch two people get but, along, right? But I know, but it, like you know, these are real people, and it's just sort of you know it's kind of interesting. It is real people, Mark, yeah, and they're man. affected. Yeah, and they end up on 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 this on, podcast. On WTF? <laughs> on the WTF? They end podcast. up in my garage. <laughs> Well, I'm glad you came, Steve. And, yeah, and thanks so much. And, uh, and glad we know that we don't hate each other. I, no, I never I thought I had a problem I, with I it. I never did. You know, you, you were just very professional. That's all. <laughs> and, and, you know, I was like, you know, what's this guy all about? The work. Yeah, <laughs> the work. Yeah. yeah, doing doggy style jokes on the on, on the table with uh, Jeff, the piano player. Yeah, but that was kind of funny. Very physical, like that. I yeah. used to be, you know, and I think that's probably where where it came from with with Dane. Uh-huh. That I used to be very physical. I used to be very animated, and I remember reading that the book about uh, stand up uh, in L.A. And David Brenner was saying how 
how the first time he did the Tonight Show, yeah, he wasn't going to get asked back. Right. And Carson's like, no. Yeah. He's he's not he's an am, he's he's too physical. He's an amateur. Yeah. And and basically what he says in the book is that you're not as physical when you know what you're doing, when you're comfortable, when you've had more experience. And I felt that, you know, with my half hour, with my first hour, yeah. it was all just kind of, you know, yeah. smoke and mirrors sure, and, sure. and silly shit. But well, you then when you kind of strut around, take ownership. Yeah. And then basically you put the mic on the mic stand, you can tell right. some jokes and write some stuff sure. out. And I, I felt so much, now I feel so much more comfortable and I, I feel like, you know, I finally found that, that voice. Well, so I'm glad you did. Bit, yeah. Uh, and I'm glad you're doing well. I mean, I literally find myself on a stool in, in sort of a, a kind of crouching fetal position these days. <laughs> so I'm, I'm actually going, you know, way against the physical because I did my strutting and now I think I'm like, it's, I'm only, I'm very, I'm just short of like, you know, literally being a ball on a chair. <laughs> But I'm glad you're doing well, man. Thanks for coming by. Thank you. Well, that's it. We'll see what happens with that. I was a, it was a pleasure to talk to Steve. Does a lot of good work out there. That is the show today. I hope you enjoyed it. As always, go to WTFPod.com. It's the new WTFPod.com. You can listen to the show on the site. Get the show at the site. You can post comments. I'll be posting things up on a fairly regular basis. Everything is there at the, the new WTFpod.com. If you want the pay episodes, Dan Cook, Louis C.K., Judd Apatow, Ben Stiller. Uh, I believe Attell is up there and all those live episodes we did at Comics. You can go to WTFpodshop.com or search WTF Premium on iTunes. Also, of course, pow, whoa, man, hold on. There it is. I just shit my pants. JustCoffee.coop, a loyal and wonderful sponsor of this show. Always keeps me in caffeine. A lot of people are enjoying the WTF blend. If you get that, I get a little something. We do have a live WTF coming up on May 24th at the Steve Allen Theater. A guest booked already, as far as I know, Joel McHale will be there. BJ Novak, Dwayne Perkins, Alan Havey, Eddie Pepitone, and Jim Earl. So come out to that, and God damn it, thanks for listening. I think I'm okay. You? You okay? Okay.